Welcome back to Dishin' Dirt with Gary Pickering. And on this episode, we're going to conclude our conversation with Stephen Cooley. Stephen is one of the top agents in the entire world at Keller Williams. And he's going to spend some time with us today, like he did about two weeks ago, to discuss how to evaluate your business growth plan and to look financially at what your steps should be for 2021. He's going to help you not only meet those goals, but hopefully exceed them. Now, while we haven't been canceled yet, and I know that is amazing to some of y'all, we might actually get so when you hear our final segment today. But before we get started with Stephen, I'd like to ask you to please share, like us, and subscribe this podcast. We'd also like to ask you to tell all the other real estate agents in South Carolina about us to quicker we can grow, the more good content and information we can provide for you. And we'd also ask that you please follow me on Instagram at Gary. That's P-I-C-K-R-E-N-G-A-R-Y. So let's go ahead and jump right into our show with Stephen. Great to be back, Gary. Thank you for having me back. Awesome. Well, last week, we got a lot of response from our listeners with some particular questions. Last week, we talked mostly about why you would form a team, how you would form a team, how you bifurcate the duties and so forth. So today, let's talk more about specifics. So the first question we got from a listener was, when forming a team, is it going to guarantee me more business or is there a chance that I might actually take a step back financially? And if so, how long is normal for me to take a step back? Absolutely. And the answer, to the, the clean answer to that, Gary, is no. Forming a team does not guarantee more business. What it initially guarantees is a higher expense. And so in your P&L, initially, the, the income probably will not go up and expenses will go up consider, considerably until it levels back out. And so you, uh, that's why you should not go from one person to 50 people. I've got 47 people on my team all in one big slew. You want to hire and let income go up, hire and let income go up. And if you hire and income doesn't go up, you hired the wrong person. I think last week you mentioned that if you're not fully in business, meaning that you're not working six days a week, you aren't to the point you need to have a team. You may need an assistant, but not a team. Yeah, what I said last week was don't give up what pays the most when you can get a lot of the work that a realtor does done in our area for 10 or 12 or $15 an hour. So you don't want to give up what pays the most first. With that said, what pays the most is also the most stressful and the hardest. You know, going on a listing appointment, Gary, is a job interview. They own the home, so you don't have anything to take your attention off of you, and they're deciding whether they want to hire you. In our area, uh, on a $500,000 home, which these days isn't that big of a home, that seller's going to pay me $30,000. So I'm on a $30,000 job interview. And the goal is, back when I was in production, was to go on five to six of those per day, five days a week. And when I got out of listings at the end of 2015, I was doing that because I was listing 40 or 50 homes a month, which meant we went on 80 to 100 listings. And so going on job interviews all day long is difficult. It's stressful. I put a suit on in the morning and had another suit for the afternoon, especially in the summertime. Change a shirt in between every listing appointment. And so that is the hard work, too. And agents tend to want to shy away from what's hardest. And you've got to stay in that high-paying, 
hard job. You know, it's an oven and it's 500 degrees in there. Most agents want to jump in and jump out. If you stay in there and pay everybody to do everything else in the kitchen, that's where you make all the money. I had an agent one time told me that how they figured out they needed a team to take a sheet of paper out and over a course of seven days to write down where they spent all their time. And what I think they, they would, most agents would find out is that where most of their time is spent is clerical stuff where they can hire an assistant, yeah. which doesn't pay you any money. Like you said, you could hire somebody for 10 or 15 bucks an hour and let them take that off your plate. And then the second is the actual showing of home because of the skill level, what you like to do most is the listing. And I think that takes the most skill level because you're on a job interview trying to get people to trust you with a $30,000 listing, you know, a possible commission. But perhaps the least or one of the, the easier parts might be the showing of the house. And right. so if they can show the house, that takes a lot of time off of your plate. So that's one of those areas I think that, that's actually yeah. very smart on doing that. And if you're going on two listings a week and you hire help, and you don't increase the number of listings you go on, you will now make more money because you're paying people. So as you hire people, to 85% of what we do can be done clerically by 10 to 12 to $15 an hour people. 85% of what we do. So the 15% that you're doing now, you need to fill that up to 100% of your work week. And so that's where you make the money. That's where you make the money. So if you're going on two listings a week, you need to go on two a day. Now that you've got a listing coordinator and a transaction coordinator, listing coordinator doing everything with the listing when you bring the file back and you negotiate the contract. When a contract comes in, you give it to the transaction coordinator that does everything to closing. And now you've got an entire listing team with you, the listing agent. Those are your two hires. And But if you still only go on those two, you will you will go in the hole and probably go out of business. So the, the, the goal is to stay in the oven more. <laughs> well, you know, and what your advice is there really applies for any type of business, whether you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a real estate agent, mortgage lender. We have a business coach and Cindy constantly asks us, is this valuable time? What is your rate of return on your time? And as a lawyer, a real estate agent, is the rate of return on your time entering in data in a computer or mm -hmm. is it face-to-face -face with your consumer trying to sign more clients up or and, and doing closing? So I think your advice is very well received. And, there, and I want to just add into there, there's two pieces of the puzzle that you need to go climb on a mountaintop and go deep in your soul and make sure that you're bought into. Number one, you need to be a money motivated person. You know, a lot of people aren't money motivated. Thank God teachers and nurses and firemen and police officers are not necessarily money motivated or they wouldn't have taken those incredible, amazing careers. But you got to be a money motivated person to pull all this all this out. And the second thing you've got to do is remove fear, fear from leading people, fear from. I had an agent that tell me the other day, she said, I read where one out of 25 clients will be um, combative enough possibly to sue you. So her goal was to do 24 deals a year. <laughs> To avoid that one, <laughs> that one client who may <laughs> sue you. So we'll do a we'll do a thousand do deals this year, a thousand sales. So using her numbers, you know that means I've got what's the math? But twenty thirty lawsuits on my desk. I don't have that many, as you know. Right. But um, you can't let you got to be money motivated. Your people need you to be money motivated because you can give raises and and that. 
And then you've got to remove fear from everything about leading people. Having more deals means more happy clients, sad clients, fussy clients. And we've got to go deep on those two things and keep my mindset there at all times, Gary. I have to be motivated to succeed at a higher level than yesterday. And I've got to remove fear from my decisions. And that's the beginning of building a team. When I tell agents all the time, if you want, if you're very risk adverse, then go work at Walmart, stand at the door and greet people when they leave. And you pretty much have no risk. But the fact that you are a real estate licensed professional says that you understand there's risk because you don't get paid unless you close. There's no greater risk than not getting paid. Yeah, and what I would do initially, before these things land on your desk, I would make sure that I understood labor law. I'd make sure that I had, I interviewed an attorney that would, before I got in a lawsuit, because that's not the best time to hire one. I'd make sure I really went deep with meeting with my CPAs. I'd make sure I understand how trust accounts work so you can set money aside that's not suable. And, um, and you know, you, you've saved me before Gary and, mm-hmm. um, um, and the relationship that we've had. So that's so valuable to building a substantial business with a strong foundation. Don't skip those things and find out that you didn't set it up properly. It's not that expensive. You've just got to get, you just got to set those up at a, at a high level and, and not skip how to build a business while you're building a team. And there's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of good teachers out there, that, that coaches. And inside your own company, there's usually agents like Stephen that are more than will, willing to give you some advice and, and counsel on those things. I, so, and absolutely. And I, I call on people who are doing better than I am, maybe in a certain section of their business. I also, um, you know, I read a lot and... Um, I'm ha- and I have I have two coaches. I have a business coach, a life coach. I, you know, there's there's all types of things to keep keep a business up and running that's just not out showing a house or putting a home on the market. Absolutely. Well, the next question we have from a listener was, do you become just a manager when you create a team, or can you keep doing what you like most about real estate? And I think you've kind of touched on that, but I, well, I'm not sure what I said before. Um, you become a leader, not a manager. Um, a manager um, shows people steps and holds them accountable to those steps. A leader takes people to the next level. A leader is here for their people. A, a leader eats last, right? Right. And so you uh, agents that you recruit, staff and admin people that you hire, they're looking for a leader and you're not going to be able to keep them from being recruited from you or even come to work with you initially unless you lead people. Yes, you can have one employee and they're looking for you to be their leader. Just like if I went to work at Bank of America, I'm looking to the CEO. You become the CEO of that one person on your first hire. And so that's what you move into. And, you know, as as you can attest to, Gary, labor law applies to you whether you have one employee or 1,000. Right. So you need to understand labor law. You need to understand what's okay to say and what isn't okay to say in job interviews and just daily in the office. You know, you can't have the relationship with someone that you are due to labor laws. You can't have the relationship you would have with your buddy. Right. And there's another law that we all need to look at too, which is licensing law for agents, because there's very specific things that a licensed, non-licensed agent can and can't do. 
So, for instance, your unlicensed assistant can't show property. They can't explain contracts. So you need to look at that state law as to unlicensed agents or assistants. And then secondly, as you know, the team name is a big issue. So you have to be very careful on. And I still don't understand what it really matters, whether we call you the, the Stephen Cooley real estate team or the Stephen Cooley team that sells units that people live in. I mean, we don't want people to know we sell real estate. I mean, it's, it's, it's the stupidest laws they have that they don't want teams using the name, certain names. It's, it's asinine. But that's a whole other discussion. I'd like to transition on to two topics I think are very important. One is, how do you find successful people to work on your team when you're hiring agents? And I'm talking about not assistants, but agents. Are you trying to hire new agents or are you going out and finding agents with a book of business or are you finding out or finding agents that have no business, but you think they would be good at a particular section? Yeah. All the teams that I've been in contact with or coach or being in masterminds with, no matter how big the team is, the DNA of the original founder of the team flows through that. It flows through in customer service, attitude, culture, and who they attract. Um, And Gary, I got in the business at 21 and I was number one in my MLS at 23. And so I'm drawn to um, younger people. With that said, my youngest agent's 20 and my oldest agent 79. I like, this is where I, what I personally like. I like an agent who's been in it long enough to realize how hard it is out there on their own. And not so long that I can't change their work habits and, and accountability and teach them my methods that have been proven to work over the methods that they may have learned over five or 10 years and only sold a, you know, a few homes a year. And so I love, you know, agents who come on my team that are brand new kind of always wonder if it's just like this everywhere. And agents have been a long time who come on my team. We really have to go deep with this is how we do it just because my name's on it. So we've got a standard. So I like I like six months to two to three years in the business. If you've been in it 10 years and not doing well, I probably can't change that. Right. And, and so, if you ever found, and this is the hard thing as a business owner, we know we have almost 50 employees here as well. Do you find that sometimes you just made a mistake and the person's just no longer a good fit? I think what's important for people to understand is it's okay to sometimes admit failure and say, this just isn't going to work. We, we need to go a different direction. Gary, I'm, I'm single. And I I've said, I can date, I can date you for five years and not know you, but I can work with you for 90 days and know everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So we hire under a 90 day trial period and, um, and get to know the person and just make sure we're the right fit and they're the right, right fit for us. And, And it's not failure if we made that mistake because all the assessments and we do two online assessments, all the meetings. And we try to meet with people three to five times in multiple settings, including in the evening and then bring other significant people in their lives to that meeting. But you still go hit it wrong some. And you just got to understand that it's not failure on your part or there. And and you really don't know people until you get in business with them. I think it was Nelson Mandela said that. We don't have failures. We have lessons and we win or we learn. And I think those are learning experiences. And I think people that are so worried about failure, you mentioned that about risk aversion. If you're so fearful of failing, you're never going to succeed. That's exactly right. And, you know, I'm going to be here whether they stay or not. But so it's a bigger failure in their life than mine. And so I really try to go deeper for their benefit 
than I do for my own. And so I really, really don't enjoy being someone's failure in their lives. In my personal life and professional life, I don't (laughs) want to be someone's failure. And so I do go deeper to protect them over me. Right. (laughs) Well, how then do you set up compensation for team member agents? Do you typically, and how should teams do it? When I mean you, you are a good example, but what do teams need to look at? Are they paying a percentage of commission? Are they paying by the hour to agents? How would they handle their agents? I would say you need to look at a value proposition. If you're going to do big marketing and you're going to do a lot of online purchasing of clicks and, and leads, and if you're going to provide a heavy staff and office space and computers and closing listing coordinators, closing coordinators, then you're going to need to reflect that in your commission split. If you're going, if it's going to be two or three agents come together and maybe hire a, a transaction coordinator, but call themselves a team, then then you probably can have higher splits. And so, if you look at teams across the country exceeding at a high level, we almost all have the same splits, and no one told us what worked. We just found out what didn't work. It's like all being on different islands and creating a wheel. All that show up with a wheel that rolls all the wheels around, right? Right. The, the people with the square wheels didn't make it to the to the competition. So we end up just interesting enough finding out what you can't afford to do and what you can do, and it really needs to be based on what you bring to the table. Not all. T- no one's telling teams how to structure themselves. So some teams do no marketing. Some teams buy no internet leads. Some teams provide no office space. And I pay I pay all the fees and dues with Keller Williams and MLS and, and Association of Realtors and lockboxes. My teams have zero expenses. So, I, you know, somewhere that's got to be reflected in splits. So our last question, because I know we're running short on time again. We could spend two days talking with you because I know <laughs> you know so much about this topic. Before anybody sit, starts their own team, I think the number one thing they need to do is business plan. Would you agree? Absolutely. Business plan. And listen, you don't want to fail at this and you really don't want to not be able to support the people you hire. So a business plan is step one. And really, again, what are your goals? You know, don't don't be um, motivated by other people's motivation. Be motivated by your own and realize these decisions you make are a commitment. They're a commitment to the people you hire. The days I don't feel great, I put on this suit, I get up, dress up and show up for those 46 other people. And so you've got to be in it for other people's success too. I now evaluate my success by two things, the service we provide to the public and the success of the team members. And that's my two uh, meters of success, not my bank account. And I found that if I focus on those two, are the people happy and making money who work on my team and are our clients really taken care of at the highest level with the best service, then the money is a symptom of success, right? Absolutely. And I don't have to focus. I don't. I focus on numbers, but I don't focus on my money because I keep the focus on those two things. And so you've got to go deep and make sure that's where you're at. People are not going to work for you if you're not for them. Well, right. one thing's for sure, you have been tremendously successful you're the number four agent in the entire world for Keller Williams, which when you think of that, starting in Rock Hill, South Carolina, <laughs> that, that a Rock Hill, South Carolina agent has become the number four agent. And I'll say that again, in the entire world 
for Keller well, Williams. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in Rock Hill right now. I live in Fort Mill, and and um, I am a South Carolinian, and we're we're knocking Charlotte hard, and we're doing great business up there. But I always I always be a small town boy. Well, you've done an incredible job, and you have provided us some incredible information these last two episodes. I thank you very much. I know the agents that are listening, thank you very much. Tell us one more time, how can agents follow you so they can- Yeah, just follow me on Instagram. It's my name, Stephen Cooley. Reach out to me there. You know, I'm limited on time some days, but I'm happy to help anybody so they don't skip a step and regret it later. So thank you. Always have been that way. Thank Gary, thank you for being here for my business over the years, and thank you for having me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Before we get to our next segment, I'd like to thank our sponsor this week, Real Estate School for Success. If you are your friend looking to get licensed as a real estate agent, then look no further than Real Estate School for Success. They have a unique online course system to get your license. While most courses consist of PowerPoint slides where you have to read and teach yourself, at Real Estate School for Success, their online class is a video of my good friend, Frankie Griffin teaching and explaining what you need to know so that you pass the exam. The full 60-hour Unit 1 and the 30-hour Unit 2 classes, unlike any others you will find online, register at realestateschoolforsuccess.com. And now Gary's good news only. As y'all know, I usually start this segment with news about the economy and then the real estate market, and I finish up by talking about the coronavirus. But because we have such phenomenal news this week concerning the coronavirus, I think it's best that we start there. Now, I know a lot of y'all may have just completely tuned out the news because of all the election chaos, but Pfizer this week announced that their vaccine that they have developed has been found to be 90% effective in preventing the spread of the COVID virus. 90% effective. They've also said that they could produce 50 million doses of this vaccine before the year's end, so less than a month and a half. They also said that before the end of 2021, that they could produce and distribute 1.3 billion doses of the vaccine as well. Now, when you start looking around the world, you'll start seeing that other countries such as Russia, India, China, and England have also reported that they are on the last stages of having their vaccine ready for mass distribution. As a result of all this, our financial news is on the way up. The Dow Jones flirted a couple of times this week with 30,000 points. The job growth was stronger than expected in October. That The economy added 638,000 new jobs and that the unemployment rate dropped from 6.9% from previous 7.9%. CNBC also reported the height of the lockdown, we were nearly 15% unemployment, so we've almost gained half of that. Actually, we have gained half of it back. And most economists think the actual unemployment rate numbers were probably closer to 20% when you look at people who were still employed but not allowed to work. So the economy is roaring back. The vaccine is on the horizon, and it looks like things are continuing to look up. And that is Gary's Good News Only. Now that brings us to our final segment today. Now, as many of y'all know, there's a couple things I really like in life. One is obviously baseball. I also love good craft beer and of course the Cleveland Browns. And I know the last one is kind of crazy, but you know, we're actually doing well this season. But the other thing that I like was something that happened this week. And I know while the world was hanging, trying to figure out who was going to be the president of the United States and the Votes were being counted and all the the craziness that was going on with that on Thursday night. 
there was something that happened on ABC that was equally as epic that had to demand our attention. And I had to watch it. And of course, I'm talking about The Bachelorette. Now, I know, I know, I don't watch The Bachelorette either. I do watch The Bachelor, and my friends, uh, Jonathan Stackhouse and Chris Clowenow, actually have a show about The Bachelor. It's on, you can find it on YouTube. You go to YouTube and type in Blair Cato, and when our page comes up, you'll see three dudes uh, talk about The Bachelor. And we do it every week during The Bachelor season, and it's great. We make fun of the show and have a good time with it. But we don't watch The Bachelorette, and I personally won't watch it because anytime I want to see 25 dudes hitting on one girl, I can go to any bar in South Carolina and see that. So I don't really need to see it on TV. I know it's a double standard. It is what it is. But on The Bachelorette this week, the show has been on for like two weeks, and Claire is your Bachelorette. And apparently after like just two weeks, of, and maybe like an hour and 37 minutes of knowing this guy named Dale Moss, he's apparently a former football player in the NFL, I've never heard of him. I don't think anybody else either has. But after knowing the guy for that little amount of time, she decides she's madly in love with the guy. So Chris Harrison comes to her suite and says, Claire, what's going on? And he uses a bunch of cuss words to show how upset he is about it. And she professes her love for this guy, Dale, which she's barely known. Well, at this point, Chris is like, what do we do? So they bring Dale over and she spends a little time professing her love for Dale, who then reciprocates and professes his love for her. Now, after like an hour and 40 minutes now, total time of knowing each other, they go to the fantasy suite, and in the next morning, they come out and they decide they're madly in love. So Claire tells Chris Harrison she's done. So she has to go tell all the boys that she's no longer going to date any of them. They have no rose for you one year. They act like they're happy for her, but really, they're seething. They're really pissed off about this. You know, they quit their jobs. They took time off. They bought clothes, and they worked out and got their chest waxed, and they're very pissed about it now. So nevertheless... Tell the boys, well, hold on, we'll figure something out. So now Chris goes back to Claire and says, well, what are we going to do now? Is he going to ask you to marry him? Which I don't think it actually actually entered this woman's head or a thought. I don't know if she's capable of thinking, but I don't know that it entered her mind. So at that point, uh, Dale decides he's going to ask her, and he asks her there on national TV after knowing this young lady for about an hour and 48 minutes. So she says yes, they hug, she gives him a rose, and they're off. So now we have no Bachelorette, except for Chris rescues the day by bringing in a backup. We literally go to the backup quarterback in this one and get some girl named Tiana, who was on The Bachelor. I think that was her name. And so the boys seem to be relieved, and the show rolls on. And that is your Bachelorette update for this week. And I swear, you will never get another one from me. But it was just so epic that only on 2020 would The Bachelorette literally fall in love after like an hour and 50-something minutes, and it'd be over. So that's The Bachelorette for you. And that's our show again this week. I'd like to thank Stephen Cooley for bringing such incredible knowledge on how to help grow your business and maybe even looking at forming a team. Stephen has given you so much information. Just can't thank Stephen enough. You can always learn something, even if you've been doing this for a day or been doing this for 30 years. So thank you very much. If you like the show, we again, ask you to please like us, share us, subscribe. Please pass the word to any real estate agent in South Carolina. It doesn't matter where they are. We want them listening so that we can continue to grow this show. And don't forget to follow me at Pickering Gary on Instagram. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend and we will see you soon.